Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. for this the word today because I got a lengthy reading and I was going let's pray I know we just was just praying but I just want to pray one more time that God will anoint this word today anoint me to share this word today and Lord Jesus and then we will be seated Lord I ask you right now Lord Jesus to touch every one of us here today Lord I ask you right now Lord Jesus to minister Lord Jesus to us today Lord Jesus I ask you Lord Jesus to allow this word not just be words on pages but Lord Jesus not just be a lesson Lord Jesus but Lord, allow us to be grow from this, Lord Jesus, and allow this word to not just be, Lord Jesus, come up alive in our life, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I ask you to touch us and anoint every one of us here today. Lord, we ask you to minister, Lord Jesus. Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. As I said, it's gonna be a little lengthy reading to start out today. If you will turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. And starting verse one, I just want to read a kind of a little bit lengthier, more reading to this morning. The Bible says in verse one, it says, And Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with, his, with the sons of Billah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other, other children he, because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Verse four says, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceable unto him and Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it unto his brethren and they hated him even yet the more verse 6 says and he said unto them here I pray thee this dream which I have dreamed for behold we are binding sheaves in the field and lo my sheaves arose and stood upright and behold your sheaves stood around about and made ominous to my sheaves and his brethren said unto him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? He asked two questions. And the second question was, Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And, yet, and he dreamed yet another dream and told it unto his brethren and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made ominous to me. Verse 10 says, And he told it to his father and his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and, my mother, and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves unto thee? 
to the earth. And verse 11 says, and his brethren envied him, but his father observed the sayings. Today I want to talk to us for a few minutes about what Brother Toby was already talked about. Believing without understanding. In the next month, their series of God is with us, we will walk through the significant, four different significant stages of Joseph's life. The first will be today, we'll be introduced to Joseph, the dreamer. Then we'll follow him as he carried his, him from the pit to the house of Potiphar. As a, as a narrative twist and turns, we will then we will watch Joseph find himself seemingly forgotten in prison and then ultimately elevated to serving as second in command to Pharaoh. The series highlights the thread and runs throughout the entire story of Joseph's life. The, the Lord was with Joseph, and today the Lord promises to be with us also. Was, there's a story, and I just wanted to just read today, the story and the lesson today. It talks about a father was napping comfortably in his, his favorite chair. He was snapped awake by the sounds of his sons that was happily playing in the yard now was interrupted by a wailing cry from the youngest. Without seconds, the youngest appeared streaked with his face streaked with tears, gingerly holding his arm. And he cried, come crying and said, he, 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 he hit me. Just as the other older brother rounded the corner with his face red with aspiration and to interrupt and says, oh, I did not. You're a big baby. I just threw the ball and you missed it. Why do you always have to make such of a big deal out of everything? And then he turns to his dad and says, Dad, you've got to believe me. I did not hit him. It was just an accident, I promise. Don't this sound familiar, some familiar to anybody that has more than one child? They'll be in the yard playing and all of a sudden one comes running in and tells on the other one for what he's supposed to have done and then the, both always there's two sides to the story. Most of the time, you know, we find this. The scene has been this scene has been replicated thousands, perhaps even millions of times in backyards all around the world. Fights between siblings are are as universal as human any human experience. Growing up, there was there was four of us boys. So you could just imagine, and the age was from me and my youngest brother, Brian, which is here tonight, today. Me and him, there are 10 years difference in age. So here we are, there's big age difference, but there's four of us. And most of the time, here I seen a post here a few weeks ago on Facebook to, where from actually one of my cousins posted, and she says, as she said, she says, as, and in the world we live in, as, as we grew up as cousins, we grew up as, children, as brothers and sisters also. And that's kind of how our family was. And times in our, in our family, different times because of sicknesses and different things, there were several of our cousins actually stayed at our house. And we were treated them as brothers and sisters. I mean, we were all just big, big family. And we was always, there was always kids around. So there was always, there was always fights. <laughs> there was always somebody getting in trouble. I remember one time, and as I was reading this, talking about fights between siblings. Me and my brother Jason, one time we was fighting, we, we had been fight, fighting, you know, just kind of a, one of these times, you know, we had been fighting and my mother looked at us and she says, and she probably was at her wit's end, and she looked at us and she says, you're going to have to, y'all get out there in that yard and I want y'all to fight for 30 minutes straight without stopping. 
She says, y'all better not, not even stop fighting. <laughs> and she, had, she was proving a point that you know, we're, here we was always just hitting on each other, doing things, but she, she didn't want us to fight and hurt each other. She realized that we were brothers and we loved each other. And that we weren't gonna fight till we hurt each other, but, but we learned their lesson that, and if you ever tried to fight for 30 minutes, you may say that was cruel, but, but, but you try to fight for 30 minutes after a while, you forget what you was fighting about. And after a while, you, just, you get tired and you want to give up. And she says, you better not stop fighting. <laughs> and we wasn't like, we, there was no blood, there was no things, but, but it didn't take just a few, few, probably a few minutes that we was tired of that. And we realized we learned our lesson. But there's fights between siblings or that is, 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 is just as regular as things. I also thought about, we had one daughter, so we, but her cousin, JT, he's, he, uh, him and her grew up as, because they're double first cousins, because they grew up as brother and sisters, and so they always was arguing and fighting. And JT would always come in and he would tell Jerrica, he says, now you tell me the truth, Jerrica. Because she, not that she lied all the time, but he just wanted to, <laughs> he wanted to make sure that he was, he was, his side of the story was what was the right side of the story. And, but they were brothers, and so they always had disagreements. And I said these funny things today because, you know, we always we know our children. If you had children and been around children, you know that they've had disagreements. And this is this is rooted in something known as sibling rivalry. This tendency of brothers and sisters to compete for for the perceived dominance and favor within their family. Most of the time, these such rivals are just harmless phases all but forgotten after a few years. But sometimes, however, those feelings can last for years, even entire lifetimes, and never be fully resolved. We find these times in life where you know, we go through things in life that, that even in childhood, they, 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 there's revivals and things that happens that changes their life for the rest of their life. In today's lessons, we will work through a Bible, a biblical story fundamentally shaped by the worst dynamics of sibling rivalry. The story simultaneously shows us the worst and the best of humanity, as well as the amazing grace and mercy of God. The right that we have that we should think, we should think of the Genesis patriarchs as the heroes of faith. The people we're talking about, the families we're talking about today, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all are mentioned in, in, in Hebrews 11 as in the hall of faith. We're talking about family members that were, that were, that were truly Christians, men, men that were listed in the hall of faith. However, being heroes, and heroes of hall of faith, being heroes does not mean someone is no longer human. Here are these, these Bible characters, we've, we've read about them, we've heard them preached about all of our life about being faithful men of God. And I hear today, I'm not here to, to down not, not, not one of them, but these heroes of faithfulness, there was not, they were not perfect. They were just like us today. No matter how, we look, how good we looked on Sundays, you know, we're not perfect. And so today in life, you know, the longer and closer we look at the stories of Abraham and his early descendants, the more it becomes obvious that these families were plagued with favoritism and jealousy. 
We look at we look in the opening verses I read today in verse 30, in chapter 37, we're giving a series of facts about Joseph. Most importantly, at the age of 17, it appears that he was significant younger than his other brothers. And the second thing is Joseph had brought a bad report about his brothers. Here, he, the, the scripture says he had brought a, a report about his brothers. We're not giving much content about this report, so the point seems to be that Joseph was just a tattletale, as all little brothers are wont to be. Today, here I am, the oldest of our siblings, and so most of us older siblings probably can say amen to the younger brothers, the younger sisters as being tattletales. Here are the younger brothers. You know, they're always the, they want to tell on what the big brother did. And so in life, we find, the, we find this. And so today, as our older siblings, we can probably say amen to that, that, that statement. If Joseph had a fact that, had fact only been the ignoring, ignoring little brother, then we probably wouldn't have much here today to talk about. However, the significant age gap between Joseph and his older brothers was rooted in the excruciating story of the childbearing rivalry between Rachel and Leah as they, they vied for Jacob's favor. See, this, this, this rivalry and this, 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 this jealousy didn't just start with Joseph and his brothers. Here their mothers. The rivalry started with their mothers. And today, I'm gonna know, in just a minute, I'm gonna talk about it even further back than further than that. But here we find this, this, this rivalry started with their mothers. Jacob's favor, Jacob's favor for his eldest son of his favored, favored deceased wife was symbolized by the infamous coat of many colors. You know, here he was, here he, he, he showed who his favorite was. You know, we always, we joke about, you know, as, as of growing up in a home with multiple children, we, grow, we always joked about who's mama's favorite, who's daddy's favorite. And that's, that's just kind of, you know, we, we have our ideals, but in this family, it wasn't just a joke. It was obvious who daddy's favorite was. He gave him this cover, this expensive dyed garment that probably had long sleeves and extended all the way to the ankles. It wasn't just a coat like my green jacket today. It was, a, it was something that symbolized something. It, to be frank, it was not a garment. It was a garment of a nobleman, not a shepherd, shepherd boy. And it had more to do than just what the coat was. It was what the coat stood for. The coat's, continu the coat's continued appearance throughout the story serves to remind us that the central problem in this story was not Joseph's dreams, but, jo but Jacob's unfair favoritism that originally sparked the brother's hatred and jealousy. Joseph's problem to this point, this, Joseph's problems to this point were not his own, of his own doing, but rather the results of his father's poor parental choices. As a young man, Joseph's motives were at least innocent, even if his actions were not altogether wise. There is no condemnation of Joseph's decision to share his dreams with his family. It wasn't wrong for him to share his dreams. Just like any young boy, and I can remember times in my life where I had a dream or something I wanted to do. And it's that youth in us, that exuberance of the youth inside of a young person. They want to share their dreams. 
If God gave them something, or it doesn't matter if they dream something in the middle of the night, they couldn't wake up. They can't wait to the breakfast table to share what what they had just dreamed or what God had just shared with them or what they just what they wanted to do in their life, their dreams and, and things that they wanted to do. God, it was just, you couldn't wait to share that kind of things. And that was just that credit from his exuberance of his youth. There are several important features I want to share today. First, the dreams through different, they were different but in symbolism, but they were clearly ignited by one theme and that is the bowing down. In the first dream, the brothers and his brother's sheaves were ominous to Joseph. In the second dream, the stars, the stars, sun, and the moon, which represented Joseph's own father and mother, joined in the act of submission and reverence. In fact, bowing down became the theme of the entire story of Joseph, reaching to the zenith when his brothers fully bowed down before his face at the death of his father. Second, giving the Joseph's later success hinged on successful his successfulness of interpreting dreams. It was worth noting that Joseph did not seem to grasp the full importance of his dreams. Here, Joseph didn't realize what the what his really his dreams was meaning, but but his brothers did. He, he didn't really he didn't really seem to grasp the full impact what he was saying when he told his brothers. Just from my thing of looking at it from now, looking back at it, you know, he would have said, well, he may have been a little bit more, less exuberant about sharing this if he would have realized what he was really saying. He was saying, you know, Genesis, we know how, the, we know that the, the brothers understood because we know in Genesis 37 and 8, they say, shalt thou indeed, they asked this question, shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? They got it. Yeah, they got what he was saying. He may have been saying it, not understanding what he was saying, but they got what he was saying. He was, he was saying that you're gonna bow down to me in his dreams. Finally, the important thing to notice is that the dreams was doubled. In fact, this was the only clue given that these dreams were not simply the expression of Joseph's overexcited imagination. You know, when we, he dreamed it twice, or two different dreams similar, it gives us an example. You know, this, this wasn't just his taco dream. He didn't just eat something the night before and, and dream this dream. This dream, you know, is when God does things, a lot of times he does it multiple times. And he gives us that answer. And, and the awful use of this suspense, we do not learn until Genesis 44 when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's pair of dreams in such a double dream that indicated the indication of the surety and the imminence of the divine action. And that for that dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it was because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. When this dream came forth twice, just like before, that allowed, that this, that allowed them to know that this dream was gonna come forth and it was gonna come forth pretty soon. The brother's reaction to Joseph's dream was hatred and then even more hatred. And the fact the brother's Hatred multiplied very fast-like. The Bible says, and I'm just going to paraphrase in these Genesis 37, he says, and his, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more, they hated him. But then it says, and Joseph dreamed a dream, and they hated him even more. 
And his brothers said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? And the Bible says, And then they hated him even more. And so their hatred for him was kind of ratcheting on up. You know, they already didn't like this guy. This brother was already getting a little more than what they thought he should get his share. And now he dreams a dream that they're going to bow down to him. So then that, that little hatred kind of bumps on up a little bit more and then a little bit more until the place we find them. And it was important to pause here and recognize that the brother's murderous jealousy that would rather see their littlest brother die than to exceed them in honor is culmination of just generations of sibling rivalry and unfair parent favoritism. It began with Abraham casting out Ishmael to satisfy, satisfy Sarah's spite for Hagar, which then carried forward to the jealousy rival, rivalry between the firstborn Esau and the convincing combination of his scheming mother, Rebekah, and their younger brother, Jacob. Finally arriving in the story of Jacob's own sons whose scheming would deceive the wily old deceiver. What a stark lesson in our ongoing power of family dysfunction. And today, as Brother Toby said today, we live in a world of dysfunction. Families are dysfunction. And we, we see that and we see things where it's not just a perfect situation. We, we look at life and we look at things and things. We, we look how it see sometimes it's unfair. The things that we face, the things that we go through. We see that going on in families. We see even things in life that's generational that goes forth from one thing into the next generation. It is even more sobering when we recall that these things, these were all godly families. The, remember, these are the people that was listed in Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith. These are families that was not just, just normal families or people on the side of the street. These were people that were listed in Hebrews 11. These families, their interracial relationships were still radically mishaps and deformed with warped perspectives, perspectives of parenthood. We find these, these people, these Christian people. So sometimes we, it's not just the people in the world that's dysfunctional. There's not people in the world that has problems with, in, in life. It's also church people. Today we find ourselves looking down. Just as dysfunction was passed down, it is still passed down today. We go through life and we, we see that where generation after generation, we see, see things, traits and things in people's lives. It's not hereditary, but it's passed down because it's, it's taught behavior. The Bible says, teach your children. And when they're old, they will not depart. We use that scripture so many times to say, you know, they won't depart. They'll come, when we're talking about people coming back to God, you taught them, they, you know they're right. But today, I feel like today, I just want to share that scripture because we must teach them good things because we're teaching our children every day. We're teaching them good behaviors or we're teaching them bad behaviors. And how we do things in life, we're constantly training our children. So let's today, let's pause today and good parental traits can also be passed down. This Sometimes, you know, if something in life, you know, these generational things keeps happening, we can change that. 
And I know I'm getting off of my subject today, but I feel like God is, you know, we can change things. We can change generational things. It has to stop with us sometimes. God can still work in the midst of dysfunction. We can be thankful the story of Joseph that it does not look away from the ugliness of the rivalry between his brothers. There's no watering down of the father's toxic favoritism or the brother's outright hatred. You know, the, the scripture, we could, the, you know, the writers of the scripture, they could, have, they could have just watered that down. You know, here we're talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're talking about you know, the, the, the lineage of Jesus. The writers of the scripture, the history, they could, they could have just watered that down and said, well, you know, it wasn't so bad. But I'm glad the writers didn't water that down because that gave us the truth. That gave us the truth. And this why this word, it don't, it's not watered down. It's not flashing down. From, one, from the cover to cover, this word of God is truth. And it's not watered down one bit. And I'm glad of that. You see the, you see the ugly. You see the bad. Right along with all the good. And I'm, today I'm just saying we, we need that because we can see where God can use these men even though they had dysfunction. Even though they had bad parental relationships with their kids, we still see God use them. The book of Genesis can the book of Genesis can risk its honesty about human failure because in the course of this story today, it's not determined by human action, but it is by divine action. God given dreams you have of what could have be a crucial part of God's gracious action in your life. The dreams are certain because they are his dreams for you. Today we've dreamed dreams. We have dreams. God's gave us dreams. It may not be a dream when you were asleep. God just don't give God just don't give us dreams when we're asleep. God gives us dreams also. He gives us a direction. He leads us and guides us and path in our life. His work that he will accomplish in his time and in his way. Do not be ashamed or discouraged by the dysfunction of your past. Sometimes we go, we go into life. We have dreams. God's gave us dreams. Could you imagine Joseph? He got these dreams and then the next thing you know, he knows he's thrown into a pit. Then he's thrown into jail, and I, and I know, and, and I'm not going to cover all this today, but if we go on into the story of Joseph, we find where Joseph is lied upon, thrown back into jail, spent lonely times in jail and prison and times when he felt all alone, and how, and he's, but, he, but he still held on to that dream. He held on to the dream, following your dreams and watch God bring this bright future to past. As powerful as Joseph's God-given dreams were, they were not designed to prevent trouble or heartache from entering Joseph's life. Rather, they was designed to give him hope to endure the trouble. We, we go through things and we see, like Joseph, we, we, we have dreams in life. We have things that we see, want to see happen in our life. We, God has showed us things and God has directed us and God, we, we feel like we're on the right path and then all of a sudden, like Joseph, things start falling apart. Things start falling apart around us. As a church, sometimes we think we're going strong and then all of a sudden we feel like everything's falling apart. 
how can, how can the dream be, still go forward? Because it doesn't look like I thought it was gonna look. As we look at, closer look at, at the hurts of Joseph that he had to endure, he waited for the dream to become reality. The first expression of, of his brothers was hatred turned to jealousy. First thing they done is they mocked his dream. The Bible said, they said, they said in Genesis 37 and 19, and they said one to another, behold, the dreamer cometh. They, they was mocking him. They said the dreamer, look, here comes the dreamer. The terms that they used were effective and they were vicious. They wouldn't, they wouldn't giving him compliments. Here they were mocking him. It implied Joseph's dream were only delusions for his own self-importance. Here they were, they, they're mocking him. Despite his luxurious coat, Joseph was not and never would be their master in their eyes. I could hear them saying things like, yeah, right, you'll rule over us. Little Joe, that's in your dreams. You better go back and dream another dream if you think you're going, we're going to bow down to you. I can, you know, that's just my imagination, but I can feel like, you know, in life, you know, here they are just mocking him. In their rejection of Joseph's dreams, his brothers was also rejecting Joseph. They weren't just rejecting his dream, they was rejecting Joseph. Their mockery and their words makes it clear that no longer they consider Joseph their brother. You know, when we read the next, the next scripture, I'm finna read. How can brothers say that about their own brother? Notice the, uh, the almost clinical de detachment with these hatched a scheme for Joseph's demise. They said in Genesis 37 and 20, it says, now come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. They're talking about their own brother. How did they get to that point? And that's a spirit of hatred. And we find them just talking about him like some just, just some another beast. The first option that they come to mind was murder and accompanied by a deceivious plot to cover that crime. We find that, you know, that, that evil in their spirit in their life. And so here they come. However, not later, just, just a few verses in scripture, we find the eldest brother, Reuben, however, offered an abandonment as an alternative to outright murder. He says in, in verse 21, he says, let us not kill him, shed not blood, but cast him into his, this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hands upon him. The narrator of the, lets us know that Reuben's plan was to return later and to rescue Joseph. Glad he had a brother, Reuben, that did save his life. But however, Reuben's motives was less than honorable. Yeah, here, Reuben, you know, big brother Reuben was gonna save his life, but he wasn't honorable with what he was wanting to do. Clearly, he despised Joseph just as much as his brothers. Yet he saw an opportunity to remove the shame of his own actions with one of his father's concubines. By saving Jacob's favorite son, in doing so, Reuben was hoping to win back for himself the coveted right 
of the position of the firstborn. Here Reuben was, he said, oh, I got a plan. I'll look like the hero. I'll save Joseph's life. But he didn't, he didn't have Joseph's, he didn't have Joseph's out and outlook and, you know, he didn't have his best interest in, you know, in, in his mind. He was wanting to benefit himself. And sometimes we find ourselves that way in our world. We find when things start going wrong, we find there's someone want to jump up to the plate and they say, well, I want to be the hero and I want to look like the hero, but I want to benefit myself. But while Reuben, it does, the Bible don't, it's not unclear why Reuben departed after Joseph was thrown into the pit. And I know I'm kind of going through this story a little fast, but I just wanted to share this part. But he says perhaps the only way he could think of concealing his ultimate plan was from his murderous brothers was just to leave. And he'd come back later when they, they get tired and leave, they'll come back and he'll get him and bring him back to his father and, and, and be the hero. However, while he was away, his brothers sold him to a band of desert traders. And it says, sparking in Judah's mind a plan that would ensure Joseph's be out of their hair and also earn a little profit. Now here Judah was like, I found another plan, even better than the first plan. He said, we'll, we'll sell him and then we'll be rid of him, but also we'll make us a little money. And so here, sometimes, you know, we find that, that, that profit, that little money in our pocket, sometimes that, that, that evil is, is stronger than any other evil that we may face. He says, what profit if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him into the Ishmaelites, and let not us let our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. But we're gonna sell him and make us a little profit. You know, here he is. He's kind of contradicting what he's saying here. He says he is our brother, our flesh, but let's sell him. And today, I just want—I'm just talking about today the, the dysfunction of this family and. And, and kind of the, what Joseph went through because of his dream. It is impossible to read these accounts without feeling a shock of, almost a shock that reproaches horror. I mean, here's this story. The brothers are scheming to kill him and then now, there's, now they come up with a scheme to, to sell him and get rid of him. And the sheer evil of his brothers and the betrayal of Joseph is incomprehensible. Incom you know, we can't understand that. We can't today, we can look at this and, and this story and we can't think about this. We can't comprehend what, how would, how would brothers come to this place? How would it, their family, how would you like to have this bunch as your brothers? <laughs> yeah, how would they have, call these brothers? Sometimes we think of our family, we've, our family members, our brothers and sisters may be not quite perfect, but I'd hate to be these my brothers. Something we must remember is that little did his brothers suspect that their very plans that they were scheming were to lead the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. You know, sometimes we go through things and we don't see how it's gonna happen. We see this evil thing going on or we see this, this dark place in our life and we don't even realize, and sometimes God may be using something we cannot even 
you know, this evil, this, this thing in our life or this, this dark place in our life, we cannot right now see how it could be any good out of this. But God may be using this for fulfillment of his dream. Joseph's faith in the, Joseph's faith in the face of such intimate betrayal is an inspiration to us today. Here Joseph was betrayed by his own family, his own brothers, but he stayed focused in, in the midst of this. Joseph did not let the severity of his trial poison his spirit. It didn't matter how bad it got. It didn't, he didn't allow that to affect his relationship with God. You know, he, he didn't allow them the way he was being treated. He didn't treat others that way. Because we find the story in later in, in time in scripture, and we find scripture where he, he treated everyone right. Even when he was, in, he was in prison, falsely imprisoned. All the whole time was falsely imprisoned, but even times when he was lied upon and thrown back into prison, we see him treating people right, being godly, being a godly influence. He still held on to the dream that he had been given even when everyone around him was even rejecting him and rejecting his dream, he still held on to that dream. Likewise, we should, we should hold on to our God-given dreams, letting his word define us and not hurting and betray, not hurt and betrayal we have experienced to influence our dream. In the first letter, the apostle Paul reminded the scattered and persecuted church of God, reminded them of the dream for them. He says in 1 Peter 2 and 9, ye are a chosen generation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. It is important today for us to keep focused, our focus right, because we're chosen. It doesn't matter what our, our, our situation looks like today. It doesn't matter what we're going through. And I'm not downplaying anything that anybody's going through. But we're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. It is important to note that, that of all the characters mentioned in the book of Genesis, nothing ever was negative. Nothing negative was ever recorded about Joseph. Nothing. He was, there was no negative report, nowhere in his trials, nowhere during his life, nothing negative was reported. In fact, he is the only perfect character in the entire book, even surpassing Abraham. And when you throw him in the, his grandfather in the, in, the, in the book with Abraham, we know what, how God felt about Abraham. But Joseph was more perfect than his, even his grandfather or his, his record of him was. Joseph is also perhaps the most traumatized character in this book also. You know, we, we look at Joseph's life and you know, we, we look at Joseph's life sometimes because we know the end of the story. Sometimes we, we, we surpass all that. When we start talking about someone traumatized or something bad happening to somebody, the first person we always do is go to Job because he lost everything. But Joseph was traumatized. 
They talk about today is in our society today of our children being traumatized by this or that. Traumatized because someone spoke bad to them or someone, I mean, and I'm not downplaying any of that. But Joseph was truly traumatized. But being perfect and the most traumatized individual in the book, most likely these realities are interconnected. Here he was being traumatized, but he's also, he was the most perfect. Because he knew where his, where his, his reliance was. He knew where he needed to keep his focus on. He needed to keep his focus on God. And that's, where, that's why he could be traumatized. He could go through what he went through and still keep his eyes on the, on the prize. It is the essence of the divine grace that God uses the trauma and trials of our past to bring about unexpected and seemingly impossible good in our futures. A good we will often, a good we often will never recognize until the very end when the final pieces fall into place. We go through things in this life, and I'm, and I, and I'm not here today, to, but I know people in my life, I've went through things in my life that when I couldn't see at that time. I couldn't see that at that time why I was going down this road. I've been places and God has carried us places that I, don't, I didn't understand why. And some of them places I still don't understand why. But some, sometimes we look back and we can look back into things in life where God has brought us through trials and brought us through things in our life. And when all the pieces has kind of started falling into place, we can start getting a little bit better picture of where or why in Joseph's case, it was not until his father's death in Egypt that Joseph finally and fully recognized God's divine plan. To return briefly to Paul's analyzation of the reality of sin in Romans, in Romans 5 and 20, he says, but where sin aboundeth, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The first act of Joseph's story calls us to look deeply and honestly at the most painful memories in our life and to reaffirm in the face of all those negative feelings our faith in the reality and goodness of God's plan in our life. Because of the reality of grace, we are free to own the truth of our imperfect past, recognizing that God's grace is able to lift us up to heights we've seen only in our dreams. We go through things in this life and today sometimes we can't we look at life and we look at we look at this this in our life and we cannot understand. We don't understand why, where we're at why our dreams is not happening like we uh, we believe. But today is we need to take Joseph's story and use that to encourage us. When we don't understand why our dreams, why we dream the dreams, we must believe. Keep our belief in God. And as we stand across here today, as, as I begin to close this first service, I just want us to, to, to pray that God will give us the, under, even in times when we don't understand 
that God will give us the force, give us the encouragement to keep lifting our eyes toward him and put our trust in him, the one, the only one that can change things, the only one that can give us that, to give us that understanding and believe on him today. Let us pray right now. Lord, I ask us today to touch us and anoint us today. Lord, I ask you to move right now, Lord Jesus, into this congregation. Lord, I ask you to seal this word today in our hearts, Lord. Lord, I ask you to minister to us today. Minister to in our, under, in our un, without when we don't understand, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I ask you to allow us to believe on you, Lord Jesus, and give us that encouragement and lead us and guide us today, Lord Jesus, and touch us and anoint us in your presence, Lord. Lord, touch the remainder part of this service, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.